Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Think about it, 2020 has turned many of our lives upside down, so who couldn't use a major dose of hope? I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with friends or on your social media outlets and perhaps review it on Apple so others will find this podcast easily. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 828 stories from our She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you all to Gwen Moore. She is another She Writes For Him Bootcamp alumni, and sharing your Romans 828 story is part of the 21-day bootcamp experience, and for most, is a first-ever podcast interview experience. In today's episode, you're going to hear Gwen's amazing Romans 828 story, so let's roll that conversation. All right. Well, we are back again today on the All Things Podcast with one of our She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates who has a compelling Romans 828 story to share. So Gwen Moore, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. You bet. Well, I would just like for you to go ahead and jump in and over the next 10, 15 minutes, tell us about your Romans 828 story with your daughter. Okay. Well, sometimes a Romans 828 story doesn't seem like a Romans 828 story when you're in the thick of it. Um, it's only after some reflection that you that you realize what God was working for good in the middle of your situation. My Romans 828 story starts uh, in an unlikely place, uh, Bureau of Motor Vehicles with my daughter. She had struggled with an addiction for the better part of 10 years and was constantly losing her license. And we, she asked me if I would take her to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. And I knew that meant hashtag mom's going to pay for another, another license. Um, We were at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles and By this point, she's a 30-year-old mother of two, and again, misplacing licenses as a parent of an addict, I extended forgiveness a lot of times, I I say 70 times 70. She struggled with an addiction, and I felt like I was on a roller coaster with her for a lot of years. I was tired, and I wanted that ride to come to a complete stop. So. She says to me, oh, mom, should I, they want me to be an organ donor. I can sign a box to be an organ donor. And I was thinking to myself, how on earth could someone who has been an addict be an organ donor? 
But as I often do, I said something encouraging and I prayed that my face didn't give me away because sometimes my face says things that my mouth doesn't. So I like to say that my inner thoughts were using an outside voice. Um, But I said, yeah, honey, you know, go ahead and be an organ donor. Um, Having absolutely no idea at that time that, that one year and eight days later, she would have the opportunity to become just that. I was at work when I got the call from a hospital chaplain asking me if Katie was my daughter. Uh, did I know how to get in touch with her father and um, suggesting that I get there as quickly as I could. My mind went into what I call viewmaster syndrome. My brain was clicking on still shots of Katie's life over the past 12 years. The route we went with addiction, uh, pain pills, which led her to harder drugs, which led her down a path of destruction. She had suffered physical abuse and the worst type of humiliation imaginable, only to turn things around and get back on the path to sobriety once again. And so anyone uh, listening who has loved an addict knows the vicious cycle of relapse and recovery and repeat and the toll that it takes on a family, not just an addict, but on the addict's family. And the past three months had been some of the most traumatic of our life because Katie had given birth to her third child and uh, the child, the baby was was born with with multiple drugs in her system and um, needed to stay in the NICU for two weeks. So Children's services that intervened, Katie had left the hospital without a baby, without her baby in her arms. And as we were driving to the hospital, it just broke my heart. This young girl, my daughter, who was always the one that babysat other children, had lost custody of her three children one by one. And we'd kind of implemented tough love. And as I was in the car, I was reminded that I hadn't spoken to my daughter in eight weeks. So we got to the hospital, various family members arriving within uh, minutes of each other. And the doctor told us that Katie had not, she was not admitted because of an overdose. Um, I refer to it as she was admitted because of a broken heart. Katie didn't want to live anymore. So She'd always been such a fighter. I just prayed, God, please don't don't let it end this way. And what happened next could only have been orchestrated by the master's hand. We were asked if we knew that Katie's driver's license indicated her intention to be an organ donor. And that because her her, uh, drug history was a factor, but it didn't render her organs as useless. She'd made a decision to say yes to donation and the rest would be handled by medical experts. So the what they referred to as procurement was scheduled for the next morning, but there were unforeseen delays with the transplant team and we were given the gift of 36 hours with Katie on a transplant the ventilator support is what it's called. And in those 36 hours, I watched God turn a delay into divine appointments. Katie was treated with the utmost care by the nursing staff, 
Um, they referred to her by name. Katie, we're going to take your temperature. Katie, we're going to adjust your pillow. They wiped her head and her hair when she got warm, and they covered her with blankets when her temperature dropped. And basically, she was treated with compassion and dignity and respect. And after all she'd endured in the past decade, that was a great source of comfort to our family. Another divine appointment was that Katie's brother was able to get a flight from California, make it home. And he and my oldest daughter sat next to Katie's bed and relived their best sibling stories and laughed. And uh, they remembered her many blonde moments. We called Katie blonde, blondie. She had that kind of personality, kind of a silly personality. Uh, grandparents were able to sit with her. One of the biggest things was that her children were able to sit and hold her hand and talk to her and kiss her and tell her that they loved her. For me, as her mother, it was during that waiting that I got my daughter back not the belligerent addict. Sometimes addicts get belligerent, but it was in the silence that I got my daughter back. God gave me the opportunity to, uh, I got to massage her feet and hold her hand. And I told her that I was sorry, 70 times seven. I told her that we would work as a family to care for the kids and that we would do everything we could to keep her memory alive in their hearts. And it was during that most painful 36 hours of my life was, was as if God was, if my heart was an etch-a-sketch and God just shook it. And all that hurt that I'd accumulated for 10 years just fell away. And I saw my daughter where I'd only seen an addict. I saw my daughter Jesus saw the sheep that had fallen through the crack. That was my Katie. She was the sheep that fell through the crack. And she had become, in the eyes of a lot of people, the least, the least of these. And it was through tears of grief that I watched God redeem her life through her death. And I, as I said goodbye to her, I clearly heard. I clearly heard the Lord speak to my heart and say, for the rest of your life, you're going to carry a scar, but I'm going to carry you. So mm, say that <laughs> again. <laughs> That's what I heard. I, you know, not audible, but to my heart uh, for the rest of your life, you will carry a scar, but I will carry you. Mm. You think footprints in the sand. You know, so often when you're when you're dealing with a, an addict and trying to love an addict, you feel like you're carrying them. And then you realize <laughs> you've been carried. Yeah, you've been carried too. you. You you can't uh, you can't do that all on your own. So on uh, it was June 22nd of 2018, surrounded by family and children, my daughter left her life on Earth and went to be with Jesus, forever 31 years old. And through the privilege of organ donation, she was able to save someone else's life. She was able to donate her liver and save the life of another person. And so 
to have, I say she was my, my beautifully broken daughter arrived in heaven, drug free, with her dignity restored as a daughter of the king and a hero of donations. So she got one more title hooked on. And the driver's license that caused me so much angst um, now is the answer to the question, what's in your wallet? Because her driver's license is tucked right behind mine. And whenever I go somewhere special, I pull it out. If I'm at the beach, I carry it with me. Um, wherever I visit, I, I pull it out. And I, I think to myself, I carried her in my womb for nine months, but now I carry her in my heart. And I thank God that my heart is restored. My heart is restored through her story because her death taught me to approach each day as an opportunity to embrace and pursue abundant life. John 10.10 has always been my favorite scripture, but now I get to live it. I, I, I'm very purposeful about my friends, my family. Basically, I call it a living for two. I'm living for two now. Katie's not here with me, but I carry her with me. And I have another verse that I love, Psalm 126. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. And so I like to count on that. I'm counting on that, that those of us who have endured grief uh, when when you can look look at it uh, from a different approach and see God's redemptive work through through that whole story um, you can have a little bit different perspective on it mm. and isn't that a Romans 828 God that he would use even that loss and that pain for good and yes. Who, who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? And like I said, you don't always see it. When I was in the hospital, Athena, I was a grieving mother. I was aware that something special was happening. I don't know if special is the right word to use, but I, I was very aware of the presence of God in that hospital. It, it, it wasn't until the fog of grief lifted that I was able to to see the gift of 36 hours. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a gift when you're there and your daughter is on, you know, ventilator support and the waiting seems endless. But there's a song that says, you know, that, that he's in the waiting. And it's so true. It's so true. Uh, what, a, what a gift that that time was. And I think one of the one of the the beautiful redemptive threads for me is what's happened since since she's been gone. It's been a little over three years now, and God's given me a heart for people who hurt, mm -hmm. just a heart for people who hurt, uh, for people who are grieving, for people who are stuck. And so, one of the things I wanted to share today, if you if you'll let me, is just a few of the things that that God laid on my heart that helped with the grieving process. Please. Okay. So if we take the word grief and we're just going to bust it up, right? <laughs> One letter at a time. 
if you if you write thank you notes, if you just wake up every day and think, who could I thank today? And it's amazing when you start writing down all the thoughtful things that were done for you in terms of food, cards, help, and you can write and thank people. It gets your focus off of your pain and onto the people that God has put in your life. Oh, that's good. You wake up and you don't, you don't feel so lonely. Um, R, this one, when I write this book that I want to write, (laughs) R would be religion. I, I let go of religion. He took it away. A, A religion will not help you when you're grieving. Only a relationship will. You have to let go of what you thought God should have done, what he could have done. I will tell you that I stayed in connection with my life group at church, but I was I was not able to worship. I didn't go to church maybe three times in eight months. And I know that sounds terrible, but God was working with me personally. I wouldn't want anyone to feel like because they couldn't go go to church, just to go to church and worship and have your hands in the air and act like you're fine when you're not fine. God knows our heart. He knows our heart. And I don't want anyone to beat themselves up if they if they needed that time, you know, just to allow God to work on them. So I, I let go of what I thought religion was and focused on the relationship. Mm, For good. I, I wrote, immerse yourself in music. I am a music person. So whether it was uh, praise and worship or 60s or best genre ever, 70s, because I'm 60, music was a comfort and music was company. And it kept it kept my brain from going places that it shouldn't. So I immersed myself in music. Um, e, embrace friends, embrace therapy, embrace medication for a little bit if that's what you need. There are things in this world, there are God-given things and people and events that God will put in your life to help you get through a time of grief. And, and I would encourage people to embrace, embrace those things that are, that are put in front of them that, that could help them get through the day. And the last one is F. This is the, this is the hardest one, hardest one. Forgive yourself for the things that you didn't say mm-hmm. or do. This was, this was the hard one when, when I hadn't spoken to my daughter for eight weeks. Tough love was in full effect. I, I beat myself up mercilessly. You know, what kind of parent does that? What, you, you have to let go. You have to forgive yourself. God knows what I said, what I didn't say. And he put all kind of people in my life to reassure me that my daughter knew she was loved. The enemy will, he, he, he will come at you with everything he's got when you're vulnerable, you know, just like Elijah, you know, when things didn't go, how Elijah thought they were going to go after the big mountaintop experience, you know, he, he fell into despair and that's the danger of being a person stuck 
back in grief is that the despair takes over and you you start telling yourself, well, God must not love me. He allowed this to happen. So you forgiveness of forgiveness of yourself is very, very important. And so that is kind of where we're at with the grief three so years and three months out the other the other uh, I say grief is the gift that just keeps giving in the beginning it's the you you don't want any more gifts from grief but the further we go along I I, I've found the purpose in the grief I've been able to um, start being an ambassador for Lifeline of Ohio I say what I need to say now if I love you you know it if I appreciate you, you know, I just, I don't leave things unsaid. I left things unsaid for eight weeks. And so I just, um, I don't, I don't leave things unsaid. If I'm frustrated with you, you know it too. <laughs> I right. just don't, I just don't leave it bottled up anymore. So we're, we're continuing on with life. We, we honor Katie, how we can, we see her face in the face of her three children. And oh. so I, I like to joke that I'm, uh, I'm, being raised by my grandchildren right now because they're they're just a joy to yeah. um, you know sometimes that's the best way you can honor someone that you lost is do things that honor their memory or you know care for, in this case we we care for her we care for her children mm. so I that's my that. story I love that thank you thank you thank you for sharing that such an encouragement and so many, I mean, God just has opened up a whole mission field for you to be able to use that experience to minister to others and to minister the comfort that he gave you, just all that he taught you from it. I love it. Thank you. So thank you so much for being with us on the all things podcast today. Thank you, Athena. Well, I hope that today's story brought you some hope and perhaps a new perspective of how God really is working all things together for good, even when we can't see it. If you've ever thought about writing your story or have a manuscript gathering dust that needs to be reworked and fine-tuned, I would love to invite you to consider joining us for our next She Writes For Him Bootcamp coming up in just a few weeks from now, starting on October 20th, 2021. It's a virtual event held in a private Facebook group and it lasts for 21 days, but the majority of the schedule is highly flexible. This will be our fifth boot camp, and every time the rave reviews just keep on getting better and better. God has blessed us with an incredible teaching team, and we would love to have you join us. For all the information, check us out at SheWritesForHimBootCamp.com. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.